we don't have one of these that fits in these question marks. This doesn't exist. There's, there's not a good language today that I can fit into those question marks that takes this successor language approach in order to be a compelling option for current C++ users. And a few of us thought, this is really too interesting to leave this way. This is something we need to explore. So we started building something that would fit into these. We're calling it the carbon language. Welcome to ADSB, the podcast, episode 88, recorded on July 25th, 2022. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host, Bryce, we talk about the exciting new announcement in the programming language world, Carbon. All right, so listener, we just started episode, I think it's 88. We're going to be recording two episodes today. This might just be uh, part one, part two. News to me. Because I'll be going to the West Coast, so we need to... What's, what is today? Why are you going to the West Coast? Going to the West Coast. My sister... Why? Uh, middle sister oh, yeah, of my three right. sisters is flying back from Ireland for the first time in uh, years. This is the sister that I've met. I've only met one of the three sisters. I know it's shocking to me too, <laughs> dear listener. And so, yeah, my family is uh, taking a weekend in Whistler to whatever, just hang out. So bopping out there. Well, tell everybody I say hello. I will. I will. Um, anyway, so we're recording these in advance and we do apologize, or at least I apologize. I'm not sure if Bryce apologizes as well. We said that we were going to record live from CPP North. So today is the 25th, and a week ago... I'm going to say it was my fault, because I, I decided to leave CPP North a little bit early, because it was enough. <laughs> it was enough. Yeah, Bryce, you were originally supposed to fly out uh, the Sunday or Saturday? Sunday, yeah. So we would have had a Thursday to Sunday to see ducks. Um <laughs> Was that really necessary? I just remembered you recording an episode. That was the squeaky ball. The dog loves things that squeak and loves balls. So I found a ball that squeaks. And uh, now, now I've made a tactical mistake because for the next for the next thirty minutes, she's going to think it's it's ball playtime, and that 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 I'm going to throw the ball for her. And, this uh, has got to be. Yeah. This is, has to be agonizing for our listeners because our listeners want us to talk about two things. One primarily, and and you're not staying focused, Bryce. And we got we got we got a hard stop here. <laughs> what do our what do our what do our listeners want? Us well, to so talk about? we were in the midst of apologizing. Uh, not only did we not record while Bryce was in Toronto, but we didn't record live. That probably wouldn't have ended up happening just because of how crazy it ended up being. We tried to get Chandler Carruth from Google on the last day, and we could have made it work, but it just he had a flight and dinner plans and we would have had to do it at lunch right before my talk. Anyways, so the two things that they probably want to hear about is CPP North, because we were both there and we've been talking about it for the last yeah. two or three months on and off. And of course, a large announcement that took place at CPP North in Chandler Carruth's keynote. What should we start with? Should we start with a CPP North recap or should we go straight to the big news and uh, share thoughts? I um I think we should start with um the big news because I think it'll be the most timely for it to be something that goes out this week. Perfect. All right. So maybe part one this of this episode eighty eight and eighty nine, part one will be carbon, and part two will be I don't know afterthoughts. Well, however it works out. All right. So Bryce, you go ahead and recap the announcement that I'm sure. 
I mean, I'd be surprised if any of our listener actually. I mean, there's some outside of the C plus plus community that listen that might not. This news went pretty far and wide. Yeah. So. Um. Well. So. A group of uh, of people, um, some of whom are from Google, some of whom are not from Google, um, have gotten together and have decided to work on creating a successor language to C++. And what, what we mean by successor language is um, a language that has as one of its core tenets interoperability with the language that it succeeds. So it's meant to be something that you can uh, incrementally adopt in an existing C++ project. Um, so a lot of people who have looked at it have said, well, this looks quite similar to Rust. Isn't Rust the successor to C++? Um, and it is true that Rust and C++ have a very similar um, target audience and that they're both systems programming languages. Um, and... It is true that there is some degree of Rust and C++ interoperability. But the difference with this new language, Carbon, is that for Carbon, interoperability is one of the key goals and priorities. And it's not one of the, the key founding goals and priorities of Rust. You know, the key founding goal and priority of Rust was memory safety. And, um, and also to be a more accessible systems programming language than C++. Um, but this interoperability question was not, um, you know, one of these key goals. And um, I think there's there's many other interesting aspects to Carbon, but I think the the this is really the defining aspect um, and the aspect that will uh, either lead to its success or lack of success. Um, most, you know, there's I have a few people. At NVIDIA that have created programming languages that I work with. Um, one of whom is Andre. And um, what what language for those that aren't in the know did he create or help create? He he, he helped create the D programming language. Um, and I don't recall if it's Andre or if it's one of my other colleagues who have created a programming language. Um, but I was told that for a new programming language to really succeed, it has to be. 10x better than you know the existing programming languages on some dimension not like 10x better like in every way there's like there has to be some 10x better aspect to it and i think that's absolutely true if it's a language that you need to like switch to like you have to be like i was programming in language x and now i'm programming in language y yeah that requires like an immediate like, rewrite that, yeah yeah um, now, for a successor language like Carbon or like TypeScript or like Kotlin, because the cost to adopt is much lower because of the interoperability focus, um, I believe that the bar for success is lower, that you do not need to be, you know, 10x better. Um, uh, that maybe you can just be, you know, 2x better in a bunch of small ways, or that you can, you know, clean up a lot of historical mistakes, that you can just make a whole bunch of smaller improvements, um, or, or that, 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 that add up to being, you know, a much better, um, uh, language. 
even though you know maybe no one of those small improvements would be sufficient to get somebody to buy into i'm going to completely rewrite um all of my software in this language um and and that to me is really the interesting thing about carbon is that it promises an incremental path um an incremental adoption and that it can be incrementally better um that it can still retain um, a lot of the priorities that we have for C++, um, like performance and portability, um, uh, without um, being tied down uh, by the, uh, the legacy um, uh, that C++ has to deal with. Um, but this is actually, this, this is not the reason why I'm most excited about Carbon. I think the, the interoperability is why I think most people will be most excited about carbon, but I am in the uh, the programming language evolution business. And so the thing that's most attractive to me about carbon is its model for evolution and its process. And I think that carbon has a drastically better process than C++. And in fact, I would even go so far as to say that the, the carbon process is 10x better than the C++ evolution process. Um, and I, I also think that that's probably true for a language like Rust um, or a language like Swift. These modern languages that, um, you know, largely use our modern collaborative tools like GitHub um, uh, for, you know, decision making and change management um, and that use better stakeholder models um, where, you know, there's some, some sort of core team um, but anybody can make contributions and the core team really just makes decisions among a set of options. Um, I, I think that the, the, uh, the difference in having an, an open model built on modern collaborative tools versus the rather dated um, ISO-based model that uh, uh, C++ has that's really a game changer. And I think that means that Carbon will be able to um, involve and improve and adapt um, uh, much better than C++ will be able to in the coming decades. So just to be clear, do you, like, as you mentioned the 10X thing in terms of process, do you think that's a reason why at the end of the day, Carbon will be successful or you're just mentioning it as sort of like... Yes. I, I believe that the reason that Carbon and Rust will be successful is because they have substantially better process. Because it does it doesn't matter if they're better languages than like today. It doesn't matter if they're the right tool today. Um, if you think 10, 20, 30 years down the road, and if you think about all of the the known ways in which languages will have to evolve, but also the unknown ways in which languages might have to evolve, um, I have far greater confidence in in uh, languages that have an agile, modern evolution process. Um, and that doesn't mean that those languages can't, you know, interact with ISO. Um, there are plenty of ways in which if there was ever a need for a language like Rust to have an ISO standard in which that could happen. Um, ISO commonly uh, uh, forms these relationships with other standards development organizations and has these fast-track processes for other organizations that develop standards to turn their standard into an ISO standard as well. Mm -hmm. um, you could also imagine that the, uh, 
you know, standards for something like uh, uh, rust or carbon could be developed um, outside of the ISO process and, and you know, by, by some separate foundation. And then the results could be um, uh, contributed to um, uh, ISO. Um, so the, these things are not mutually exclusive. I just think that using the ISO process to evolve a programming language is, is not a not the correct decision um, today. It was certainly the correct decision um, in the 90s for C++. It was definitely the correct decision for you know older languages like C and Fortran. Um, and uh, in, like in particular, it was certainly much better to have um, uh, ISO C than ANSI C because ANSI C was developed solely by a U.S.-based standards development organization, and so its mandate was really very U.S.-focused. And ISO does provide a slightly, you know, broader uh, uh, view. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, given the, the collaboration tools that we have today, given how um, uh, software communities operate today it um it's just not the right stakeholder model and um i do hope that uh we can perhaps fix that in the future for languages like c and fortran all right so i will play the role of an amalgamation of the top questions that i have because i've spent quite a bit of time and i'll link all of this stuff there's the keynote from cpp north is that chandler gave and made this announcement and is already online so i'll link that but also the Hacker News, Reddit um, thread, a couple different articles. And so there's been, and and in the comments of the keynote that's online now, there's been a ton of discussion, obviously. it's it. I think the Hacker News post for a, a brief time on the Tuesday that the announcement was made, it hit number one, and there's hundreds of comments on the Reddit threads. Um, there's been lots and lots of questions. I think you already asked probably the number one question or answered already the number one question, which is why not just use Rust? A lot of people comment that the syntax looks similar, but you already talked about the interop story and how that is sort of the the big delta between the two. Um, and that, there's others, but I, that's sort of the, I think the response to that question. The, probably the second most popular question that I observed or comment that I made was why not just make C++ better? Which was actually, I think, a question that uh, the Carbon team during the Q&A um, got. And so... I'll let you. I'll give the answer for the carbon team that I don't think you would have gotten during the Q and A, which is the people involved with carbon spent a decade plus trying to make C plus plus better. Yeah, didn't work out, and like it's it's not like they didn't try. It's not like somebody like Chandler did not spend a significant chunk of his career and and time and effort trying to make C++ better. Um, and actually, if you look through the history of C++, there have been many figures who have tried to improve C++ through the committee and have then departed to make programming languages. Um, Doug Greger, Dave Abrahams, two of the people behind Swift. They used to be deeply involved in C++. And they are, they're, you know, prolific um, uh, software engineers and programmers and programming language designers. Um, so 
why and then they love c++ of course so why did they are they no longer involved now D dave is getting back into the c++ world these days but not so much the committee at least not that i've seen yet um well i don't want to speak for for these folks um but you know i think i i think it's telling when we've had throughout the history of C++, not one, not two, but three or four times when large, significant contributors have decided that, that uh, their efforts were not, um, that, that, that spending more time on ISO C++ was just not worth it and that they decided that they were going to go off and do something else. Um, now, this is a sort of a unique case because this is a group of people who um, are not going off to build a programming language with a different um, uh, set of goals and priorities. Well, I, mean, I guess you could argue that Carbon does have a different set of goals and priorities to the sort of implicit goals and priorities of the C++ committee. Um, I don't know that we've really properly formally adopted a set of goals and priorities um, but this is the first time that a group of people have gone off to create a successor language for c++ not a different type of language like swift is a different type of language um, i would even argue that d is a different type of language um, and uh, rust is a different type of language carbon explicitly aims to be a successor language to c++ um, now, I, I, and I want to um, circle back to that uh, question about why um, uh, Carbon and not Rust. And yes, interoperability is a big piece of it. Um, but I also think that uh, there's other differences in goals and that are significant. Um, Rust has memory safety as, you know, one of its key goals. That is not one of the key goals of Carbon. There's there's a hope that uh, memory safety will be something that can be um, added to uh, uh, carbon, um, but it's not one of the key goals and priorities. Um, I think the the focus on it, um, performance in carbon is um, a sort of unique goal among other uh, you know contemporary programming languages to it. And is also a goal that um, I think is to some degree shared by C++. Um, or at least I think most people involved in the C++ evolution and most C++ users feel that performance is a priority of C++. Um, now the, the, um, the problem is when performance comes into conflict with um, stability and predictability. Um, I think Carbon will will not be afraid to make breaking changes when it needs to, um, uh, and uh, to to weigh the cost of that breaking change and uh, you know how tooling might help us ad uh, uh, adapt to that breaking change um, versus the the benefit and performance. I'm not saying that Carbon is going to make you know drastic huge breaking changes for, you know, a 2% performance gain. 
I'm saying that if there's some some reasonable breaking change that can lead to you know two uh, x three x performance in some way in carbon that that's almost certainly something that I would suspect carbon will pursue. Um, whereas in C plus uh, plus when performance uh, when you have to pick between performance and uh, stability we pick stability um, more often than not. Yeah. And there was a, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know this, but there was a big discussion at the last in-person committee meeting before the pandemic started in Prague and Carrington has a really good blog, which includes his personal thoughts on it, but it was a big discussion about ABI and whether or not the committee should take a stance on whether they want to break it or don't break it. And, and I, I actually, I think that that discussion um, could have been more productive because a large part of the framing of the argument was about performance, that we should, you know, be willing to break the standard library ABI so that we can improve the performance of, um, of things like um, uh, unordered map and things like unique putter. Um, and that's, that's a true argument, but I do not think that is by far the most compelling argument. I think we should be willing to break ABI so that we can make C++ easier to use. Like, forget, forget performance, um, for a minute here. We should be willing to break C++ ABI so that we can fix our mistakes, so that we can get rid of you know, weird, confusing semantics um, uh, that, uh, you know, don't make sense to users. Um, we should be willing to, to make breaking changes, not just ABI breaks, but breaking changes so that we can get rid of um, sharp edges and corner cases of C++. We should be willing to make breaking changes so that we can make C++ a safer language. Um, so that we can remove pitfalls, so that we can make C++ a simpler language, so that we can make C++ a more teachable language. I think that if you made that argument, you would get far more of the committee on your side than if you made an argument solely about performance. Because um, the, this, this question of velocity and instability is not just one about performance. It's, it's, it, it affects the very nature of the language and the uh, the complexity and the usability of the language. And uh, it is, it, it saddens me that we uh, did, did not have that conversation at, at Prague. Now, on the other hand, I am, that, that one call, that one discussion was a culmination of many years of discussions. And I think many of the points that I just raised um, uh, have been, uh, discussed over the years. But I think the unfortunate thing was that because they weren't brought up on that evening when we took the votes, um, some people's minds were just framed around the, the question of performance and, and did not grasp or remember the, um, the full scope of what we sacrifice in the name of stability. Yeah. Yeah, it, one of the most, well, I, I'm not sure if it's the most attractive thing, but just like carbon is going to look so much nicer because they're going to get the defaults right. Whereas, I mean, 
you'll start off writing. But but Carbon doesn't have to get the defaults right. If Carbon gets the defaults right, wrong, they can fix it. Carbon can fix the defaults. Yeah. Like the the C plus plus, I I suspect got most of the defaults right at the time that we decided upon those defaults. I mean, but that's the thing is a lot of the quote unquote defaults that like they're getting decided on if you're not making a decision on it, right? Like if right. if you're not taking into account some no discard attribute on a member function at the time, no one was thinking of it. So like implicitly the default was that it's not no discard. And so in the future, when the design discussion comes up, it's like, Oh yeah, this would be a nice thing. But because you didn't, the default was already decided. Um, so like, I agree yeah. that probably when thinking about um, the defaults that were being thought about, they got them right. But unfortunately, like you can never predict all of the future behaviors that you're going to or design decisions that you're going to be making that unfortunately you implicitly when you when you design something and you don't take into account like every possible flavor of something, it's going to you might get the default wrong. But the point being is that like. You know, in C++, I start off writing a simple example of some function in a class. And then, like, by the end of it, if I turn clang tidy on, <laughs> there's, like, literally no discard, const expert, no accept, con like, there's so many things that it's like a Christmas tree that you're hanging, like, yeah. little ornaments on. By the end of it, it, it it's like, if, if it's a small function, it ends up looking so complicated when really it's just a bunch of defaults that, unfortunately we didn't think about it at the very beginning. And uh, that is going to be super nice and something that Carbon really has going for it. That like, And I, I can imagine, because I've seen these examples at Google I.O. when they were introducing Kotlin, where you would take some Java code and it would, obviously it's a cherry-picked example, but then they have this automatic converter that like takes all this boilerplate and then converts it into like three lines or, or whatever. And you you know that there's going to be some, you know, cherry-picked C++ example that has all of these, you know, ornaments, if you will, and then it converts it into some carbon code and it's going to look so much cleaner. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, this um, this reminds me of something from Sean Parent's keynote, which uh, bookended uh, the conference, and his keynote was called The Tragedy of C++. And I loved it because it was... Um, it was a redux of my favorite Sean Parent talk ever. And I think one of the best conference talks I've ever seen. It, I, I, it was probably the best conference talk I've ever seen. Um, per, per, perhaps Hannah's, the first time I saw Hannah give like a full length talk, um, or the first time that I saw you give a talk, um, uh, compete there. Um, but it's definitely in the, one of the top three. And that was his 2012 um, C++ Now keynote um, where he talks about um, performance and, you know, how you get performance out of chip and um, uh, talks about heterogeneous programming, which in 2012 is pretty radical. And then he shows these amaz amazing demos of, I don't remember which Adobe product running on um, an iPad with rendering this huge image um, and uh, just very prescient in his predictions of where we needed to be, you know, 10 years later. Um, and um, uh, yeah, this, his talk, I was very excited to see him give sort of a, a talk that called back to that talk. He, he showed a lot of slides from that 2012 talk in his keynote. Um, 
I think, obviously, from the title, The Tragedy of C++, Sean feels that we've perhaps not come as far as we, we would have liked. Um, I, I think in some ways we have, um, and perhaps, perhaps those have not yet become visible to him. Maybe those are things that, like, you and, you and I see because we're committee members and we see those features going out the door right now. Whereas um, uh, Sean, who's not as actively involved in in the committee um, uh, these days, uh, but as a you know a C plus plus user, he's out in the field. He's writing actual applications, and these cool new tools that we're putting into the next standard and the standard after that, you know, they're not available to him yet. Um, and I think that's often one that's one way in which we on on the committee often lose a bit of perspective that we standardize a thing and we're all excited about it. Well, there's like even after we've put it in the standard and shipped the standard, there's still a pretty long tail for it to get out to users. But anyways, in Sean's keynote, he showed um, he referenced uh, I think a talk by uh, Alex Stepanov where he talked about um, the the complexity yeah. of std yeah. pair, and he showed you know how many lines of code were needed to implement std pair in C plus plus ninety eight, and I think it was like one hundred and fifty. And Alex Stepanov, 62, 62. and Alex Stepanov was just distraught that something so simple would require 62 (laughs) lines of code. And then in C++ 11, it was what? How many lines of code? I think, I think that was the one that was like 150. Yeah. And then in C++ 17, it was how many? Five, five, 500 or something. It it like exploded. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, and, um, and it's the same in, uh, 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 in terms of the size of the um, of the C++ standard text, which has gone up um, from you know a few hundred pages to I think it's near three thousand yeah. maybe now. No, I think it's just under two thousand. It's eighteen hundred something. Ah, okay. Um, Although maybe C plus plus twenty three is yeah I is, think C plus plus twenty three is probably over two thousand or it will be once we're done with it. We just this morning we had the last C++ plenary um, uh, of the C++ 23 design cycle where we shipped out the C++ 23 committee draft and we had 62 motions and we voted in a lot of stuff and that was that was yeah. easily 200 pages of things um, would be my guess. MD Span got in. Congratulations. MD, which is MD Span is the reason I joined the committee back in 2015. And that's this is this goes this is an excellent demonstration of the point of you know, how long of a tail it is to get things standardized. I joined the committee in 2015 with the goal of getting MD span into the standard. It is 2022 and it is now in, and it, it will not be widely available until like 20, until 2026 probably. Um, so it will have taken me 10 years to accomplish this one relatively <laughs> simple thing. Yep. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have taken as long uh, in a non-ISO model. So um, I do not think it would have taken as long in a non-ISO model. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.